Hi, everyone. Welcome, welcome to the first ever live recording of the Linen Suit and Plastic Tie podcast. I'm Gorv. And I'm Kevin. We are live, Gorv. Yeah, I know. I'm so excited. So the Linen Suit and Plastic Tie podcast was something Kevin and I started last year. And it started around the idea of storytelling and what is storytelling and understanding it. We essentially believe that storytelling is one of the most important skills we have as humans. It's the way we connect to people with people. It's the way we build our careers. It's the way we build our businesses. Uh, the ability to create an imagined future reality and get people to rally behind it is essential to communication, building uh, our careers and our overall lives. And so last year we started the podcast and we started talking to people, just asking them, what is their story and how has storytelling affected your lives? Because we essentially believe this is a skill that you can hone and you can develop. So um, we, we met with educators, marketers, comic book execs, in, inventors, founders, and psychologists, and kept asking this question. And each person gave us a little bit more, told us a little bit more about how storytelling affected their life. And now we are here at our first ever live episode. Yes, and we are so happy to see all of you here today, um, our first ever LSPT pod live audience for our first ever live episode. Thank you all so much for being here. Um, it brings me joy beyond words to see all of you show up today. Um, and I know that the reason that you're all here, besides the fact that Grob and I invited each of you emphatically, is that everyone here has a great and unique story. And everyone here probably aspired at some point to propel your career uh, to the next level by adding some more skills to the great skill set that you already have, which is precisely why we orchestrated this particular experience and precisely why this will be great for all of you. Gaurav, who are we talking to today? So we are talking to Sarah Nuvi. Uh, she, without giving away too much of her story, she is a senior financial analyst at Snap. She's a LinkedIn top voice in analytics and data science who's built a community of over 30,000 followers. She's a mentor, a teacher, and an all-around inspiration. Um, and she is one of the smartest, most organized, passionate, and driven people I have ever met. And I am so excited that she decided to join us today. So Sarah, why don't you say hi to the audience? Thank you, Gaurav. Thank you, Kevin. That was a very kind introduction coming from you, Gaurav. <laughs> <laughs> And it begins, sorry. So um, hi, everyone. <laughs> Again, thank you guys so much for having me. Um, I like to start actually from when I was very young and I had very different aspirations in my life. And I wanted to be um, a culinary chef and I wanted to go to culinary school. I never imagined myself where I am today. And I feel like most of us sometimes start with this very different creative vision for our futures and then opportunistically take what comes at us. Um, but yeah, growing up in a traditional family, my mom was like, no, you could take that up as a hobby later, go pursue something, uh, go pursue a real degree, whatever that means. So I found myself really enjoying math. I ended up 
uh, doing math econ, minored in statistics, which became the foundation for what I do now. Um, I studied at UCLA, so I'm a fellow Bruin. I'm actually a double Bruin. I did my master's there um, in mechanical engineering. I thought I would go into renewable energy. Um, I did uh, a very interesting energy storage concept and uh, but once I graduated, my kind of um, I kind of let the job market dictate where I would end up. I made two resumes, one for a mechanical engineer and one for a data analyst, scientist, statistician thing. And I said, you know, wherever I end up is wherever I end up. And I actually um, interviewed at a very hip uh, startup in Hollywood that focused on theatrical marketing. And I, I was actually the first person to hop onto their data science team. And the rest is history. I've been in marketing analytics since. I've loved it. I've loved the culture. I've loved the applications. I've loved the types of problems I've been able to solve and being able to kind of dig back into my statistics <laughs> and my econometrics and be like, all right, <laughs> how can I bring back the fundamentals and apply it to real world problems? And so um, I've had a lot of fun in the process, uh, got to be a part of this podcast. So thank you guys so much for having me. I'm sure we'll dive into a lot of other great things that um, I've done along the way, but that's just a brief introduction. Yeah, and thank you so much for sharing uh, your story with us uh, to date. So that that kind of sparks our first question for you. So what, what did that first job out of school look like for you um, as a data scientist? How did you make your transition you know, from mechanical engineering and all that into a data science student and then a data scientist? That's a good question. So actually, I never felt prepared for any job I was going to take out of college. Because <laughs> once you graduate, you actually, coming from an academic perspective, all you've ever known is theory and really getting into industry and understanding that things need to move quickly, um, that you need to start building things and things need to iterate very quick. Um, it was it was definitely a shock. I remember my first uh, my first task, I was building something in R, but at the same time, my manager asked me to build something in Excel. And he's like, yeah, build a pivot table that that uh, that like summarizes and aggregates this this data. And I was like, sorry, a pivot table. <laughs> I, I didn't know what that was. I had barely like interacted with Excel because I had like learned Stata as my first um, programming language and then R when I was in the stats uh, department. Um, but when, when I reflect on kind of being a junior data scientist, it's really a lot of understanding the domain and the applications of the problems you're about to solve. And very quickly, I realized how important it was to not only understand the foundational concepts, all of the great academic uh, theory that you learn, but also understanding the business problems intimately enough to be able to come up with solutions that would actually be helpful. So in my first uh, job, we were working, like I said, in theatrical. And so understanding that whole ecosystem, understanding how script writing, um, the understanding that how much psychology goes into it and understanding human behavior, right? Um, how we were analyzing um, essentially a bunch of social media uh, comments, engagements, um, and a lot of that really tied into understanding people <laughs> and then looking at the data 
that our interactions with technology ended up surfacing into patterns and picking up on those patterns and being able to translate that into something that was actionable. So I think through the years, I've really um, honed in on like really being able to kind of not only just focus on the technical side and be really intimately like um, familiar with new technology, things that are coming, like, and even the foundational concepts, but really understanding the domain that you work in and really finding that niche that resonates with you. So I've really enjoyed working in the marketing uh, space. Now I, I assist sales folks, but still I get to work on very similar problems. And what you'll realize when you move, uh, no matter what industry you work in, they'll have specific problems, but a lot of them are the same problems in different forms. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I love, I think we first, start, we first started hearing that kind of storytelling element in what you're talking about, about understanding the domain, understanding the story of the company, the market they're in, and making sure you understand that story well enough so that you can present it in a data-focused way. And so I think that kind of ties us into the kind of idea of data storytelling. In your career and your experience, what is data storytelling and why mm -hmm. has it been important? Yeah. 100% aligned, right? So a data storytelling to me is putting the business uh, focus first. And so really that, that's where really understanding the domain becomes highly crucial to your ability to make an impact within the business. And so when I think about even conversations that I have with execs, um, I'm not just trying to think about, hey, let's um, just show you the trends. Let's show you strategically how you can think about the trends um, and all the data that whether you knew it was available or not. I'm going to take your I'm going to take your idea from as a stakeholder. I'm going to translate that into what I know I can deliver for you and help you strategize to take your concept or your idea, refine it and take it to the next level. And the biggest mistake that I tend to see when, so I taught a data visualization course at USC. And uh, the biggest mistake that I've seen from technical folks who try and go into industry is overcomplicating the concept of delivering a report or the concept of delivering an insight um, because we get really, really excited about the technology that exists. And so like network graphs is like the perfect uh, the perfect one to, to hone in on. I've seen like really amazing network graphs and I'm like, yeah, it tells an amazing story, right? And it really, to some extent, helps us as data folks really understand what's going on behind the scenes. But when I think about presenting that to executives, they're going to look at that and immediately be like, sorry, what? <laughs> like, if they can't tell within 10 seconds what the inside is, then you probably need to rethink your visualization. So coming back and paring it down to a simplified view of the, the trends, the patterns, and um, delivering it in a way that it resonates is extremely important. So when I've thought about biggest mistakes, I think overcomplication tends to be one of them. And then one thing that I think has really helped me in data storytelling is really um, something you guys might not think about, but tonage and delivery, right? So yeah, the visualization will play a part in it. And yeah, like the text and, and the narrative that we developed around that visualization and the entire story that we're trying to um, convey is important, but also the delivery. If someone falls asleep or isn't paying attention midway, then you've lost your, your ability to make an impact in that moment. And so what I've learned through the years is, and, and what I've really um, fortunately through my 
desire to kind of be put myself out there a lot. I've done a lot of meetups. I've done a lot of conferences, a lot of podcasts. And through that have developed really strong communication. And so understanding how to convey that in a story through verbal and written is extremely, extremely important. That's just one thing that I feel like doesn't get emphasized a lot, but really putting yourself out there, communicating with people, testing yourself on your knowledge based on trying to communicate what you think you know about the business to someone else. You know, I think there's that idea of simplicity that you talked Mm -hmm. about, and it's one of the most important skills we've learned throughout our conversations with storytelling. We've had people drill that into our heads. We talked to Eric Toda, he's a head of social marketing at Facebook. And he said, when telling any kind of story, the want is to overcomplicate it, to put in every detail, to put in every single fact and every, to show off the skills that you can. But the problem is that doesn't deliver, that doesn't make that emotional impact. Right. And I think it was like, was it Mark Twain that said this quote that it's like, I didn't have enough time to write you a short letter. So I wrote you a long one. Like, (laughs) and that's one thing that we're trying to do, right? Like sometimes it's hard to convey things in a simplified manner. And it actually takes more work to pair things back than it is to just like resort to an overcomplication. And we tend to see this even with in, in all sorts of forms, like getting excited over machine learning techniques. Okay, let's resort to neural networks right away. It's like, okay, <laughs> do we need to get that complicated right away? Or like, yeah, the visual might look exciting, but is it meaningful? Um, yeah, you wrote a really long report, but how can we like really boil it down to the key concepts that are actually like, think about how our uh, attention spans are decreasing, right? And so we are, we are challenged not only with simplifying our concepts, but with also the attention spans that we all are limited by. And so how are you going to make an impact in the shortest amount of time? Almost like an elevator pitch, right? It's like, how are you going to sell yourself in two to three minutes uh, to an executive that you're in the elevator with? That's difficult to practice. So yeah, it's a challenging s- skill to learn, but it's something that I think we develop as we go, right? Absolutely. I want to ask you a random question. We've talked in our podcast a lot about getting stuck in our storylines. And there's something that Kevin was alluding to earlier, something you alluded to earlier. When we leave college, we're kind of on this path and we believe deviating it from it makes us fall behind, makes us um, not gonna reach our goals. So I wanna ask you, is there anything that you learned in culinary school that helps you day to day that doesn't have to have a good answer for it? God, did you pick up that I didn't go to culinary school? Did you not? Did I miss that? I thought you said I you wanted. Went to... I was in. Oh, you wanted to. Yeah. Okay, I missed that. Okay, <laughs> fine. Yeah, see, live, it's best. Um, okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump now. Uh, no, to a but new I'll talk. take I'll 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 take that line of thought and um and I'll I'll speak to a book that I'm reading right now by Adam Grant. So it's called Rethink. I love his concept of challenging ourselves to rethink things that we we wouldn't normally rethink, right? So he's talking about this balance between uh, intelligence and humility. I think most of us, as we start our careers, will struggle with imposter syndrome. And actually, um, the way that that Adam Grant poses it is not um, as a disorder, but actually something that helps you in your career if you can think about it as something that'll help you, right? So I've talked to many aspiring uh, data scientists, even I struggled with it when I was starting out, but coming from a place of imposter syndrome or feeling like you don't belong, right, uh, gives you this humility to be curious enough 
to ask more questions, to um, like come from a place of empathy and to question your own uh, thought process and your own belief system, right? So we tend to do that a lot more when we're less confident. Whereas when we're very confident, and it's interesting because he says the people who know the least have the most confidence and actually don't question their belief system as often as they should. And us as data storytellers, right, we need to come from this view of not only being empathetic to our audience, but also accepting the fact that we might not know everything and that imposter syndrome could actually benefit us in the long term if we're able to see it as um, something that benefits us because we come from this curious place where we're asking the right questions, right? Um, so not coming into it, assuming that we know everything and that we're just going to trailblaze and we're just gonna go move forward and we're not gonna pivot. We're not gonna be okay with pivoting. We're not gonna be okay with asking whether or not we're doing something right. Kind of to the theme of what you were saying, like, <laughs> you know, do we question ourselves or like, are we able to incorporate uh, things along the way? And I think if we can recognize that we're imperfect and that the data is imperfect and that <laughs> the things that we're doing will only get better in time if we're willing to iterate on it and we're willing to rethink our, our approach sometimes um, could really not only help us as we progress through our careers, but could help the business overall as we rethink the way we approach things and incorporate new ideas and new strategies. Wow, what an amazing answer to a totally screwed up question. So I, I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> No, a um, little bit behind the scenes, uh, Kevin and I have a little document that we use to communicate and keep the flow. And so when I screw that up, I wrote, ugh, I have a bunch of letters and he responded, <laughs> put yourself out there and get feedback. So uh, we're, we're, yeah, we're learning on the actively spot. Actively <laughs> learning on the spot. We're not experts at this. Anyways, <laughs> tying it back, um, confidence is so important, you know, and uh, dealing with confidence and dealing with mistakes and because when you are creating data visualizations for people, there's a lot of steps you go through, right? That they don't get to see. So especially if it's something they're not expecting to see, um, you're one of the very few people who sees every step, right? Um, so on this confidence kind of aspect, I wanna ask you about when you feel, when you felt like you became a data scientist. For me, when I graduated college, uh, I graduated from UCLA as well, uh, studying econ, and they called me economist. I'm like, nope. <laughs> immediately I'm like how is that possible um so it's kind of like that label of economist right that really freaked me out so I was wondering about that label of data scientist when do you feel like you became a data scientist so um I I actually still don't feel like I can call myself anything right like I I still feel weird about labels I wrote a post a while back where I've heard, where I heard people that are like really excited to call themselves data scientists. And they're almost like too quick to jump to that, right? Because they're excited. They're like, oh, I took a course and, and I know uh, the keywords and the buzzwords. And actually I feel like it's easier to identify when you can't call yourself a data scientist than when you can. Because, um, and I struggled at the time that I wrote that post because I was um, incredibly uh, challenged with, I because I my, my whole family is in healthcare. And so, and I know a lot of people who graduated from med school and then did residency. And I was like, we don't have anything similar to that in the data field, right? It's like, 
um, everyone's taking their own journeys and ending up in the data science field in, in such different and unique and diverse ways that it's so hard to say when you can call yourself a data scientist, right? Um, to your point, Gaurav, right? It's like when you immediately graduate, it feels weird to like say, oh, I'm, I'm like now this title. Um, and rather like so something that I'd, I'd like us all to think about is like, within data science, there's so many different tracks that you can take, right? Just like when you graduate medical school, you can go into so many different specializations. And depending on the specialization you wanna go into, there's a different number of years of experience that, that's required in order for you to call yourself uh, like a, a pediatrician or an orthodontist or you know a plastic surgeon. And so depending on what track you take within data science, there could be like, it could take you one year to be qualified enough to, to call yourself specialized in a certain domain, or it could take you, you know, three or four or five years to call, to feel comfortable with that. Um, I think also this, this plays to the point of humility versus intelligence as well, right? It's like, where can you take that balance of, I'm, I'm humble enough to recognize I don't know everything, but in the space that I do, I, I have the confidence to present myself in a way where I'm putting that forward. And I challenge all of us in this room to actually, as we get into industry, you will feel overwhelmed because there will be so much that you'll be approached with to say like, hey, do you know all these things? And um, to take a step back and say, okay, well, what industry do I really enjoy? And within that industry, find yourself specializing in solving the problems that they have from a data perspective and really refine that skill set. And that's where you build up confidence. If you could find that niche for yourself, it could feel a lot less burdensome and you could build your confidence that way and, and slowly uh, continue in that path. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, especially for people. Uh, like us who, who are students or at the beginning of our careers in data, uh, it is important uh, to build confidence uh, while, you know, realizing uh, the importance to uh, stay humble and uh, stay in the learning mindset. What would be some of your tips in further building that confidence and uh, establishing your credibility in front of others, uh, knowing that there's a lot you don't know? And maybe sometimes they'll eat, make mistakes even. And how do you how do you navigate that? How do you get yourself out of that, you know, struggle? Right. I think this is a fabulous question because I think this requires us to to the concept of rethinking. Right? Is almost a reframing of failure. Um, I think that we're all we we're too afraid to fail that we keep ourselves in an in a place where we're not actually pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone and we're not actually growing. And so if we can reframe the way we think about failure as an opportunity for growth, um, that could be your, your, your breakthrough to really putting yourself out there and allowing yourself to say, hey, yeah, this piece of feedback, I actually got one more very recently. And I was like, huh, wow, that really stings, but like, okay, give me an opportunity to do things better next time, right? And with that feedback, you can actually um, like pay, see a way forward for you to continue growth. So I actually read a lot of uh, self-help books or whatever you wanna call them, personal growth books um, that 
that have really reframed the way that I think about failure. And you can read a, a lot about um, very, very successful entrepreneurs who failed a lot before they became successful, right? Even if you think about um, athletes, right? They're, they're missing three-point shots all the time. They're failing constantly. And they don't think about it in a negative way. They're like, oh, I missed that. Oh, I'm going to get it next time, right? And so they've really embodied this whole concept of, hey, failure is actually not bad. Failure is actually good. And it gives me a stepping stone to do things better next time. So I would challenge all of us to say like, uh, encourage putting yourself out there and encourage failure <laughs> and reframing your mind to think like, hey, if I, if I get rejected from this job, if I get rejected from the next job, right? Those rejections are just getting you one step closer to your acceptance. If you can continue to be resilient, if you can see it as an opportunity and you can keep yourself motivated through those rejections and through those failures. I mean, this directly talks to some of the stuff we talked to with a psychologist we had on the show, a comic book psychologist who works at UCLA, Dr. Andrea Letamendi, about the stories we tell ourselves and um, the way we can impact and hurt ourselves in those stories or empower ourselves through those stories by reframing mistakes, reframing failures, seeing ourselves as kind of like the hero of our own story and the way it will attack failures. And it's one of the most important parts of our podcast, the stories we tell ourselves and understanding that a lot of this is just reframing the way we deal with things. I feel like with every one of your answers, Sarah, it all ties back to being a lifelong learner and growing your mind and being open to lessons. And I think that's amazing. Uh, something you were talking about, you've talked about a few times now is when entering a new domain, it's important to understand kind of the story points to understand the market itself, because even though you have a specific like, data set skills, if you don't understand the market, you won't understand how to present them to different people. So a lot of the people here are starting summer internships or starting new roles. So when you enter a position, a particular job or a position, what are the first things you should go and try to learn? So the first thing I would challenge you to learn is, well, first of all, I would say maintain a really strong foundation of technical concepts. And I think across the board, we know that. Um, but into your specific, like, so even within our, within the uh, very large company, you'll be specifically uh, focused on maybe like a specific application. So actually when I took the job at Snap, I was really excited to work on uh, forecasting. So like I had worked on a lot of like machine learning, uh, like classification problems um, and whatever, uh, like clustering, unsupervised learning, um, NLP. I had done like a lot. I had like dabbled in a, in a bunch of different projects and I was really excited about time series. Um, especially. And so I was like, I really want to take this job because not only do I want to move to a different side of the business and because I was on the marketing side and I wanted to learn the sales side and the monetization side, but I also wanted to pick up a totally different technical skill set. So as I was approaching the job, I picked up a book on time series and I just really dove into all the technical skills that I was going to need to be effective in that job. And then the next thing I did was a lot of conversations with the teams that I was going to be directly supporting. And so one thing that I would highly encourage those that are getting into their first jobs is really 
being curious enough to have the conversations to really understand the problems that you're trying to solve and then go look for articles and go look for, you know, the hubs of where uh, you can continue to learn. Like you can subscribe to so many different, and I subscribe to all of them. And sometimes I have time to read and sometimes I don't, but I am continually listening to things. I'm continuously like things that I literally don't think are ever, like when I started the, the book Rethink, I did not think I was going to have to use it anywhere. Like I, I didn't even think it would be applicable to this conversation, but it is, right? Like you never know what you're gonna listen to or what you're gonna do or what experience you're gonna have and how it's going to benefit you or, or help you. And so, um, but I highly encourage um, the curiosity, the willingness to speak to those that you're going to be directly supporting, but also challenging them in their own belief system based on the experience that you have and what you bring to the table, because clearly you have an experience that's valuable just as much they have as they have an experience that's valuable. So challenging both sides to, to really rethink the way we think about the problems in the business um, and then finding leads. <laughs> so just like find the leads that are interesting to you and find the problems that you're going to be really excited to solve and then really dive deep and find where you can add value right away. Listening and asking questions. All the time. We're going to get into the Q&A because I'm sure many people are chomping at the bit to ask you their questions. And we would like you to say three things when you come off the mic, your name, your UCLA affiliation, and then would you rather lose all of your money or all of your pictures? No explanation. Just answer it. Everyone here, now's your time. Uh, so I will be the first one. And I will say my name is Chloe and I'm a UCLA MSBA student and I will lose all my money as well. Thank you so much for sharing a lot of your thoughts, Sarah. And I am very interested in what you talk about to know the business contacts and before you're being able to tell those stories. So I want to hear a little bit more about how would you suggest us to kind of quickly learn a general business context so we can tell a successful story during our internship? Chloe, that's a great question. So um, I would recommend two things. So the first thing I would I would highly recommend. So like you said, you'll know the companies, but you will you'll be assigned specific projects. And so what you'll need to do is understand the application that you're specifically working on and how it connects to the bigger picture, right? So when you're assigned this project, what I would say my first recommendation is find all the relevant people who are going to be able to provide you the context that you need, but come prepared, right? Like come prepared to the table with your own research. So you'll know the general concept. You'll be able to research as much as you can Google, <laughs> right? About similar uh, like solutions that maybe already exist for a problem like that, right? So you'll you, you'll you'll think on your own. You'll say, okay, well, what 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 would I do if this was my problem to solve? Well, it's going to be your problem to solve, but you can only you're limited when you first start off in what, how you're gonna answer that question. And you're gonna start building your knowledge base as you go along. So each interaction you have with new people in the company, you're gonna be able to answer specific questions and then you're gonna be able to pull in uh, different data points that are gonna help support your domain expertise and your ability to solve that problem. And then the second thing that I would tell you to do is document everything. So 
<laughs> and this is where Gaurav laughs because I am a documenting queen and I am making everyone on my team learn uh, and build a culture of documentation. Not only does this help you hand off your work to someone else, but it allows you to question your own understanding of what you're working on. So when you digest information, it goes to your brain and you say, uh-huh, yeah, I totally get that. And then someone asks you about what you learned and you're like, wait, um, uh, let me think about that for a second. And then you're, you're wondering, right? It, it takes you a minute to really um, question how much you understood. And so after I have a conversation with someone, I sit and I document everything. And then I realize, oh my God, there's so many gaps in what I thought I knew. And then I go back and I ask questions, right? Or I Google and I fill the gaps of where my knowledge was missing. So I highly encourage you to obviously Google a lot because that's Google's going to be your best friend. And then two is find the right people and ask the right questions because even very intelligent questions are very useful to the people who are also trying to solve the same problems, right? And I appreciate someone who comes to the table and says, and doesn't just come up with, I mean, they say no stupid questions, but you know, some things you can Google. <laughs> so, so come with creative questions that help the person who's, who's solving those questions, uh, those the same questions help you solve them, right? And challenge them to think differently about the, their own maybe desired outcomes of that project. So when you're doing your documentation or require your team to do a documentation, what are some like good structure or framework do you do a documentation? So it kind of get your sauce clear. So I start with, um, so I'm still building this out, right? And you'll come up with your own um, templates as you move along. But what I typically do, so I create a hub for myself. So I had to go and make these hubs, by the way. I created our Confluence repository. I created our Quip repository. And I created a lot of how-to guides. When I first started, I was like, where's the how-to guides? Where's the onboarding docs? You're like, we don't have any. I was like, all right, I guess I'm making them. <laughs> and, and then I just took that. And I was like, hey, as you come up with new things, add them here. And I'm telling everyone to keep adding to that documentation to make it usable by everyone on the team. How else do you scale if you have no documentation? You can't scale. You can't scale my time, your time. All of our time is limited at the end of the day. And so having it written um, helps, you'll, you'll have achieved, you, you'll have helped the business just by documenting your work. <laughs> um, but what I start by doing is summarizing what I'm doing, right? So can I articulate in a very well done manner what I aim to achieve, right? And then what are my tangible deliverables, right? Like what is the outcome of my time that I'm spending towards this project? Like what am I handing off? Is it, is it like a presentation? Is it a, um, is it a dashboard? Is it, you know, what is my tangible deliverable so that there's an expectation of what's to come out of it? Um, and then everything I learned along the way, keywords, definitions, right? Jargon that they use. Um, how can I well-define the metrics, right? Sometimes there's misalignment on metrics. What is, what is uh, like what, retention to one team might mean a totally different um, thing to a different team. So the application of that metric to that, speci to that specific project will be incredibly important. Um, and then any conversation that you have, I, I tend to just write it down and then I, I end up finding time later to reorganize my thoughts and 
translate it into basically like a one sheet. If you were to hand it off to any person, they'd know from start to finish everything that you've done, right? Especially as an intern, I would highly encourage, and it should be pretty easy because you'll be focused on one project. Um, as you start your careers and you you go into juggling multiple projects, you'll develop a new system. <laughs> but uh, But at least for that, it should be hopefully pretty good. Thank you, Chloe, uh, for a great questions. Um, and next up, we have Benjamin. Hi, Sarah. I uh, want to say you're really impressive. Like, uh, it, it's cool hearing someone who's very data-oriented be as animated as you are about it. Um, we don't get that a lot, I feel like, with, you know, nerdy data people. And it's, it's pretty aspirational to have that kind of quality and be able to explain that kind of thing in the way that you do. Um, so um, I am also part of the MSBA program. Um, totally fine with losing all of my money. I can go away. Um, and my question uh, is kind of how, how you technically present a data story in your boardroom to a, to a higher up. So uh, obviously when you're telling a story, I mean, you've written a book like that kind of thing. Um, you have a certain journey that you take to get to the main point. And I've heard different things about how people uh, want to share answers or findings to people who are either more data forward or less data forward. Sometimes they just say, hey, here's the answer. And then we can go into the backstory later if you want. Uh, some people say, hey, like, here's the roadmap. And then I hit them with the boom at the very end. And then it's this aha moment for everyone. Um, can you give some insight into how you usually approach that problem? Right, it's like laying out the journey before presenting the data is what you're getting to, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I don't like surprises. I actually, what I do think, um, and this goes into a concept that I've uh, thought, and thank you for the question, Benjamin, um, is really, uh, even like when you air, all right, all right, is that the word? Oh, tell a speech. <laughs> they tell you to repeat a concept multiple times because it takes time for things to resonate with people. And so um, I definitely don't like to, um, it depends on what it is, right? It depends on where, what I'm trying to do and what I'm trying to accomplish. But in most cases, when you're working within a company and you're all trying to achieve the same goals, it's important that you kind of hammer down the same things in, in multiple different ways. Right. And so what I likely do is is present the entire journey of where we're going um, and then slowly build up into kind of uh, reinforcing and building in data points to refine and hone in on uh, wh whatever it is. If I'm trying to persuade them to make an action, then it'll be all the data points that led up to why we need to make that action or why it's imperative that we do. Uh, we change our strategy or um, if it's just kind of a status of, of where the business is at, it's like all the different data points, again, that that we're going to be going into in order to uh, understand the holistic macro perspective of where we're at and our current state and also where we're going and in the future and the strategies that we need to implore to get there. So I, I think... Number one, it depends on the audience. It depends on what you're what you're presenting. But I do think that I um, I would encourage uh, like a multiple like um, like say like re a repetition approach. So like trying to trans again like this concept of verbal communication, visual communication, right? It's like coming to them in multiple different ways because you never know how it's going to resonate with 
the, the, the stakeholder and you want to make sure that if it's a concept that is very important that you're storytelling in a way and you're communicating effectively and uh, and making sure that it's resonating with them. Okay, so Kev, you want to introduce our final segment? To close out every one of our episodes, we have this segment called Suspenders. It works like this. We ask you, Sarah, a random fun question that's unrelated to anything. And you can give us any random answer you feel like. All right, Sarah, you ready? As ready as I can be for a suspender question. (laughs) Yep, that's the spirit. Suspender (laughs) question of the day is, you have $7 and five minutes at a grocery store. Mm. What are you buying? I'm buying kombucha and cereal. That's a great answer. Kev, what would you buy? I, I'd actually just pick a $7 one and oh get God. out of there. <laughs> That's embarrassing. Um, I think I would buy, um, I don't know. See, I'm not great with these questions. Uh, I would buy candy and orange juice. I'd freak out and buy candy and orange juice because it's like the worst thing for you. And I, it's my base instincts right there, candy and orange juice. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. This was an amazing conversation, an amazing episode. I always learn so much when we speak, so I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you both for having me. Welcome back to Top Hat. This is the part of the episode where we analyze the key learnings from the guests we just had. And today we had our first ever live episode with Sarah Narubi. Kev, how exciting was today's episode? This is the first time we ever got live and um, I, I really had a lot of fun. Uh, not only talking to Sarah, but also on, uh, interacting with our live audience, which is fun. So hopefully we can put together uh, more experiences like the, the this one. Uh, for um, our community. So looking forward to war, but let's get into what we uh, learned from Sarah this week. So I think the first learning that she talked about right off the bat, understanding the language of the teams you're going to be supporting is so key because in these types of roles, because you uh, most often you are creating data visualizations, data organization and strategy docs for people within your organization. So um, you need to be able to speak their language. So the first thing to do whenever you join a new industry or new company is go on kind of like a talking exercise and talk to people, learn their language, see what metrics they care about, see what storylines they care about, see what uh, major overarching points they care about. Yes, indeed. We are not storytelling to a vacuum. We do have an audience that we are presenting the stories to. So it's important for us to understand what is important to them, Um, which brings us to our next learning. Um, This is actually a learning that came from our our audience. Uh, Shout out to Paul Randano, uh, Executive Director of the UCLA MSBA program. Thank you for showing up and support uh, in our live audience. Um, Documentation as a tool 
to internalize the narrative story you will tell in your work. I think it's not only a great、uh, advice for storytelling, but also great advice for、uh, those of us who are starting、uh, our first jobs or internships. It's a good practice to take notes of what you did、uh, and the meetings you've had with the, the people you're working with, and more often than not.、Um, Those key points you took away from your meetings will turn out to be、uh, what matters the most、uh, to your stakeholders, or the objectives you should be focusing on、uh, in the project you're working with, or、um, the the data、uh, from which、uh, you will draw your insights. And as you're writing it down, you are taking their language and putting it into kind of your version of the language to find that connection and find. Not only、uh, the narrative story you want to tell, but how you're going to tell it, how you connect into it. Sales episode reinforced so many of our past learnings about storytelling as well from a variety of different fields. Eric Toda talked about this, the director of social marketing at Facebook, in his episode, and Sarah reminded us it's about simplicity, consistency, and authenticity. We are so happy we had Sarah. An amazing lifelong learner that reminded us to put ourselves out there and get feedback, and so many great insights about data storytelling and storytelling as a whole. And it was a great first live episode with an amazing turnout. So thank you, Sarah. Thank you to the UCLA MSBA program at Anderson School of Management for joining us. We'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone.